0: Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels and more, we're here to help you find something great to read.
1: That night, Adele Parkins was killed. Six police cars and seventeen collegiate looking plains clothesmen, eight of them were women imported all the way from Boston, patrolled the campus. But Spring Hill Jack killed her just the same, going unerringly for one of our own. The false spring, the lying spring, aided and abetted him. He killed her and left her propped behind the wheel of her nineteen sixty four Dodge to be found the next morning, and they found part of her in the back seat, and part of her in the trunk. Hello again, Books and Nachos listeners. This is Arnie, your host, back to review the next story in Stephen King's night shift collection, Strawberry Spring. I'm going to start up top with something a little unusual for the Stephen King reviews, a spoiler warning. For those of you who have listened to my 20 reviews thus far of Stephen King's works, from Carrie to The Shining to all these night shift stories, you know that I always try to remain as spoiler free as possible. However, Strawberry Spring is a story that I can't really review by parts. I'll explain why as I go, but for now, if you don't want the ending of the story revealed, press pause, go read this very short 10-page story, and then come on back so we can talk about it. I will admit that going into Strawberry Spring, I was uncertain what to expect. While I read Night Shift from start to end about 30 years ago, this story left no impression on me, and the title is certainly enigmatic at least to me. I've never heard the term strawberry spring as a phrase, so I envisioned a story that had something to do, in some ways, with the small red fruit of the same name, maybe murders in a strawberry patch or something like that. Fortunately, that's not the case. While not a term common in the Midwest, King helpfully explains through prose that Strawberry Spring is a name used by old-timers in the Northeast to refer to a spring season that comes way too early, and these oldsters know that a final bitter winter storm will come before the actual spring season begins. So it's similar to an Indian summer, but an early preview of spring, something likely of importance in the far Northeast where winter can bring snow not by the inch, but by the foot. And in March of 1968, The area surrounding the new Sharon Teachers Community College experiences such a season. It brings warm temperatures. The snow and ice that held court all winter started to melt, and the sudden onset of heat during the day created a dense fog at night. And in that fog, a murderer finds his purchase. In the tradition of Jack the Ripper, on these foggy nights, three women in the campus are not just killed, but dismembered and mutilated. Due to the lack of footprints found around the first body, the papers refer to the unknown killer as Springheel Jack, from the old English urban legend of a creature that would assault women but then be able to leap huge distances. King's Tale follows the events on the campus over several days, starting with the discovery of Jack's first victim. Told in the first person by an unnamed male narrator, recounting the events to his readers eight years later, the story is a murder mystery. But being only ten pages long, the mystery is short-lived, and it's the length and pacing of this story that makes me feel forced to spoil the story's reveal, for at this length, to review a mystery without reviewing the end is like discussing a riddle without sharing the punchline. The key to this story is how satisfying the end reveal truly is. That said, the ending is not really much of a spoiler. As I mentioned, this story is told in a first-person point of view, something King must have really liked using during the late 60s and early 70s, as many of his Night Shift tales utilize this narrative device. But most of the other stories, such as Night Surf, Trucks, Grey Matter, and One for the Road, are all one person recounting their interaction with others. Strawberry Spring is a far more solitary tale. While there are a few other characters that appear in the narrative, most of them are Jack's victims introduced only once their bodies are found. Only the narrator's roommate and one police officer have much dialogue with the narrator. This story is a one-man show. And given that, this story can end only one of two ways. Either our narrator is the hero of the story who will encounter the killer and bring his identity to light, or, more likely, our narrator is the killer. The third option, our narrator is one of the victims, I ruled out first because he's male and Jack victimizes only women and second, because the narrator starts by telling us this happened eight years earlier. This implies the narrator survived the events of the story, though that's not entirely a guarantee in plots such as this. We could be told this story from beyond the grave. But even with those two remaining options, hero or villain, for our narrator, I knew from page one which way the story would go. It's meta-knowledge, but I've cited time and again King's use of the unreliable narrator in these short stories most specifically in I Am the Doorway and Sometimes They Come Back. The O'Henry ending of Our Protagonist IS the Antagonist has been really common, so had I read Strawberry Spring in 1968 when it was first published, I'm certain I would have been less suspecting of the story's final reveal. But in Night Shift, it's a foregone conclusion. The other reason is because had our narrator been the hero who stops the killer, it would be anticlimactic. As there are literally no other characters in this story that make an impact, the killer would have been a stranger to us, the reader, if not to the main character. Had this story been the narrator and his group of friends reacting to the deaths, then I would have been certain that Scooby-Doo style, in the end, the killer would have been unmasked and a close member of the group. But the way this story is told, the only possibly satisfying end is that our narrator is the murderer. And truthfully, he must be. He's creepy. He's subject to constant headaches and chooses to take long walks alone in the fog to relieve his stress despite the murders occurring on campus and he discusses the beauty of the fog almost romancing the privacy it provides and in this area king's prose excels i think he does a marvelous job of setting the scene listen to this passage from early on in the story quote the coldest winter in 20 years broke on that day it rained and you could smell the sea 20 miles west of the beaches The snow, which had been thirty-five inches deep in places, began to melt and the campus walks ran with slush. The Winter Carnival snow sculptures, which had been kept sharp and clear-cut for two months by the sub-zero temperatures, at last began to sag and slouch. The caricature of Lyndon Johnson in front of the Tepp fraternity house cried melted tears. The dove in front of Prashner Hall lost its frozen feathers, and its plywood skeleton showed sadly through in places. And when the night came... The fog came with it, moving silent and white along the narrow college avenues and thoroughfares. The pines on the mall poked through it like counting fingers, and it drifted, slow as cigarette smoke, under the little bridge down by the Civil War cannons. It made things seem out of joint, strange, magical. The unweary traveler would step out of the juke-thumping, brightly-lit confusion of the grinder, expecting the hard, clear starriness of winter to clutch him and instead he would suddenly find himself in a silent, muffled world of white, drifting fog, the only sound his own footsteps and the soft drip of water from the ancient gutters. You half expected to see Gollum or Frodo and Sam go hurrying past, or to turn and see the grinder was gone, vanished, replaced by a foggy panorama of moors and yew trees, and perhaps a druid circle, or a sparkling fairy ring. End quote. Now, thus far, I've dinged several of King's short stories that were written early on for a clumsy storytelling style, one-note depictions of characters, and flat prose. But this is clearly an exception. This was written while King was still a student in college and first published in the fall 1968 edition of the University of Maine at Arono's literary student magazine named Ubris Magazine. Yet... Here, his ability to set a scene really pulls me all the way to this college campus in, I presume, Maine. It's great that King can do this, because the fog is such an important part of why our narrator kills. The only way a story like this works at all is by having a character who's insane. If the narrator knows he's the killer and he's hiding a secret, that's a very different story from one where the narrator is surprised along with the audience at the reveal. So beyond insanity... There's no actual logical motivation for the killings. However, when a strawberry spring comes and with it the foggy nights, our character is compelled to commit murder. We know this because there's a strawberry spring every 8 to 10 years, and as I mentioned, we're being told this story from 8 years in the future, 1976, when yet another strawberry spring is visiting that college campus from which our narrator graduated several years before. I will say King is a bit too clever by half, though. Not once, but many times, King drops clues for the reader to pick up on. On page one, we're told a strawberry spring comes every eight years, and the story is being told to us eight years later. A little later on, the narrator's roommate would discuss the killer's identity, using the old phrase, I suspect everyone but me and thee, and sometimes I wonder about thee. As well he should. And then later on still, when the campus calls an early spring break due to the killings, the narrator says, quote, And I took six people downstate with me, their luggage crammed in helter-skelter. And it wasn't a pleasant ride. For all any of us knew, Springhill Jack might have been in the car with us, End quote. And of course, he was. I found other clues. One of the dead girls was the school newspaper editor who turned down the narrator for both a column and a date giving at least that one killing some motive, and the prose certainly hints at the character leaving his own body, saying, quote, Even after I had opened my book and started in, part of me was still out there, walking in the shadows where something dark was now in charge. End quote. Yes, I do think that King showed his hand, but in the end it hardly matters. I realize now why I didn't remember this story at all from 30 years ago. It's got nothing in it that makes an impact. It's a well-written tale that's been told a million times before and since. The writing shows an author with a skill for the craft, but the story and its twist are fairly pedestrian. Like many of King's college works, it is interesting to read as an early example of his skill. Strawberry Spring, more than most, hint at the master wordsmith King would become. But there's nothing here that makes this story a must-read, and if I live long enough to finish this entire King retrospective and decide to revisit Night Shift again, I bet once more I'll forget what Strawberry Spring is about. But that won't be the case with the short story I'm reviewing for next week, The Lawnmower Man. Stuart, Jacob, and I are taking a one-week break from reviewing Stephen King films at NowPlayingPodcast.com, taking the chance to review the brand new Amazing Spider-Man 2 film. But next week, we'll get back to King reviewing the cyberspace sci-fi horror film The Lawnmower Man. So here at Books and Nachos next week, I'll be reviewing King's original short story of the same name, which has no cyberspace, no science fiction, but it does have a fat, naked lawn boy. You'll have to turn in next week to hear about it. And until then, please remember to support your local bookstore.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.